start a new series this morning. The series is titled The Family, and as simple as it is, we're building into Mother's Day. Mother's Day is May 10th. We don't know if we're going to be able to congregate or assemble together by then or not. Probably not the way things have been going, but I, I would hope, for, I hope so. We're praying for that. But as we're leading into that, we want to start with different aspects of the family. And the first aspect of the family we're going to focus on today is our church family. Next, we'll talk about children. Um, in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about fathers. And then on Mother's Day, May 10th, we'll talk about mothers. And so to begin with this morning, uh, I'm going to be kind of all over the Bible uh, because this is more of a topical sermon. But you should have been given, uh, when you came in, hopefully you have it, uh, some sheets that uh, have verses and scripture verses on there. And you guys uh, can pay attention to those. Maybe you may not be able to write in your vehicle, but at least you'll have reference points to where we're going to be this morning. And so to begin with, I just want to tell you guys that in the middle of some of the most dark, difficult days of my life, um, I've always had a good family, my mom and my dad and my brother and cousins and aunts and uncles, but some of the hardest things that I've ever dealt with in my life, were it not for my church family, I feel like I would have sunk underneath, uh, underneath the waves of the storm. And uh, I can tell you from experience, when I was a young man, I was 17 years old, and um, my, my grandmother had passed away, and my church family came around me and loved on me. A couple of years later, my grandfather passed away, and I was so close to them that um, they did the same thing. And uh, it was such a solace and a strength, and I had people that checked on me and loved on me and uh, saw to my needs and my family's needs, and people that I knew, they would just call and say, hey, I, I can't tell you anything in the middle of all this, just stay strong, we're praying for you. And little notes of encouragement like that from my church family uh, got me through some of those moments. But there's this idea that family is not just an important thing. And we know this. Family's everything. At the end of your life, uh, if you're laying there in that hospital bed, and if you're, uh, I say this, fortunate enough to be able to tell your family goodbye before you pass from this life, what you want there is not anybody else but your family. And that may include your church family. It probably does. Family are like branches on a tree, and uh, we grow in so many different directions, but our roots remain as one. Deep down, we're grounded in Christ, and we're, we're tied together in this. And we know this. Life is so much better when we're together, when we can have loved ones and friends around us. And so a couple of questions I want to answer this morning, and we'll try to get through this uh, rather quickly. Um, I can't preach as long as I like to because God makes it rain on us now, so uh, there's a funny in that. But the first question is, why do we call it a church family? And we could probably all answer that question. But the second question really is, what's the value of a church family? And to answer the first one first, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17 tells us that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God or daughters of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery or bondage. You did not receive a yoke to fall back into your fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption uh, as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Becoming a Christian means that you are adopted into the family of God, that he becomes your father, that you are his child, and there's no taking back on that. Your name is written and recorded in the Lamb's book of life. You are sealed with his spirit. It's a done deal. You belong to him once and for all. And also, it means that we have brothers and sisters in the faith. Jesus Christ, we're joint heirs with him. All that was his, God's giving to us through this awesome adoption and justification through him. 
And then the next question really is, what is the value of a church family? We live in a day and age where culture is increasingly separated from one another. Uh, families are distant. You know, my brother is my best friend. I love him so much and his family. And it pains our hearts with his two little boys and his wife that they're in Virginia Beach some 20-some-odd hours away from us, and we don't get to see them but maybe once a year. And, 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 and increasingly in our day and age, families are moving apart because of job opportunities, because of different reasons, and we're no longer clustered together as this nucleus of family like we once were, and we miss it. Our hearts yearn to be around families. Distance separates us, but even worse than distance, our culture is increasingly secular, meaning that they're anti-biblical, anti-Christ, anti-God in so many ways. Uh, this, this secularity brings distance in like-minded, morally guided, spirit-filled relationships with other people. A family can be a family regardless of circumstance, regardless of distance, regardless of locale, but it sure does our hearts good, and it sure is redemptive to our souls when we are in proximity and near our church family. Some of y'all have family members that have passed on. There are lots of widows and widowers in this church. There are people who have lost husbands and wives. There are people who have lost children. There are people who have lost uh, others uh, along the way. And, and what hurts is that we lose those people. Man, grief is this natural part of living in a sin-filled world. God never intended for our hearts to have to deal with the grief like we do. Sin brought that in. God didn't bring that in. What God brought in is solace and comfort and hope for our hearts and he's loved us through it all and walked with us through it all but today we know that if we can have somebody near us somebody that cares whether they're blood or not we're all blood bought blood related in Jesus and the brothers and sisters that we have in Christ can encourage and edify us in our spiritual lives they can be there for us in times of great joy and also in times of great sorrow they can respond to us. They can intercede with us or for us. They can look us in the eye. They can offer a shoulder on which we can literally lay our heads and cry. They can offer a hand to help us up or help us out of a situation. That's what a church family can do. Church family is vital for support and for our sanctification and our spiritual growth. And I'll say that again. You need a church family. We live in a day and age today where uh, membership in a church isn't that uh, important like it used to be, uh, at least to the world at large. But membership still matters in the family of God. Listen, you do not have to belong to a church with your name on the roll to go to heaven. There's no, no, it just doesn't happen that way. But church membership is still important because of the, uh, the very commitment that you're making to someone you know uh, we live in a world today and do a lot of counseling with people who live with their boyfriends or girlfriends uh, and they say when you ask them well why don't you guys get married and they say well we're not ready for that uh, we often in this world want to have our cake and eat it too we want to be able to say hey we're a member of that church with all the benefits and privileges that come with that but we don't want to support we don't want to be there for people we don't want to sacrifice for others we don't want to have to assemble all the time if we don't want to um, and and guys what happens is we when you commit to a family, when you commit to a spouse, when you commit to children, whatever it is that you commit to, whenever you commit to a church, you're binding your heart with theirs. You're making yourself vulnerable and saying, here I am, in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, in richness and in poverty, I'm right here with you. And that commitment still matters to the Lord. I believe that it honors God when he sees his children in fellowship as brothers and sisters together, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
So in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus calls us to love one another. He says, just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. By this, by our love for one another in the church body, in the family of faith, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What a beautiful thought, that a world that's out there in darkness, that it's all people for themselves, it's, hey, who can I, whose back can I climb over, who, whose ladder can I climb up to get to the top, how can I see about me first? And we see that in, in, in pandemics like this, where you see people that are like, hey, give it to me, I don't care about them, it's me first. We see a refreshing change of pace in Jesus. He says that if we love one another, they in the world that are lost and away from Jesus will know that we're his. And we, by our love for each other, can attract them and draw them closer to him. Your church family can provide so many opportunities to serve and disciple. You can model faith and practical godly living. I can't tell you how many people. Uh, Brother Ben's just one good example, but there's lots of men and women in this church and in the churches that I've been members of in the past that have taught me how to pray, how to treat my wife, how to study the Bible, uh, how to stand up and look somebody in the eye, how to shake hands, what you're supposed to wear, where you're supposed to go, how you're supposed to talk, how you respond in moments of great difficulty and crisis. We have models of the faith, especially with some of our more mature, older believers uh, that are amongst us. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together or not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen, it would be very discouraging for my family if I only showed up once a week to my house to love on them, to eat dinner with them. And guys, it's, it's kind of discouraging too when we don't see some of our beloved around us for months at a time. It's our duty, our job, our responsibility and privilege to continue to check on them. Yes, I know we have some homebound and some people that are sick and ill. There are obviously lots of folks in our church that can't come out on days like this and they should stay at home. But it's also our job to make sure that they're okay and to check on them. Not just the pastor's job, not just the staff's job, all of us as believers. He says, one another. And that's talking to the general assembly. Literally one of the greatest and most life-changing results of having a church family is loving others like Jesus loves you and being loved the same way in return. Um, this love is to be sacrificial. It's to be unconditional. And it's like the love of Jesus himself. So much of scripture shows us how the family of faith interacts and does life with one another. Acts 2.42, this early church started out. After Jesus has passed on, the acts of the apostles, the acts of the disciples, the acts of the early church, what's happening here is the acts of the Holy Spirit is at work. And the early church is trying to figure out this Christian life thing. What do we do? Jesus is gone and we have his followers with us. And so Acts 2.42, Paul uh, is, or Luke is writing here, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They is the pronoun, meaning the body. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And as we're currently physically separated from one another due to this pandemic that's going on, now more than ever, I think individually, we need to be seeking the Lord and getting strengthened and soaking in what he's trying to tell us and give us so that we can reach out to him and to her, to the believers that are all around us that are absent and, and not in our physical presence right now. We may have to do that in new ways. That's why we're doing this. This is far outside of our comfort zones. This is far outside of normal as we would think of it, but because we get the 
opportunity to still preach the gospel and share it. And who knows who's hearing it, who's receiving it, who's listening. We're going to take full advantage of this. And God's going to bless us for that as we honor him. Uh, What I have this morning is six quick statements about uh, how important it is to be a church family. The church family is so vital for at least these six reasons, probably more. Number one is we study God's word together. A church family provides consistent Bible teaching. Listen, at First Baptist Church Lowell, we place the greatest emphasis on the inerrancy and authority of the Word of God. We're never going to step away from that. We're never going to sugarcoat it. We're not going to pick and cherry-pick verses and, and choose what we want to try to tell people and to hide the rest. We're going to preach sin. We're going to preach grace. We're going to preach mercy. We're going to preach, preach rebuking and correcting because all of those things are necessary so that we might become more righteous like Jesus is. And so we want to study the Word of God together. Um, This often comes through small groups, through Bible studies, through teaching from the pastor, uh, from Sunday school lessons, and so on. The church family is called to grow spiritually together. It's by getting that nutrition in us that we are able to spur one another on and energize others to do the same thing. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Here's one thing that happens in the church that we often don't like. We don't like like to be rebuked. We don't like to be corrected, but it's necessary for growth and godliness because none of us are perfect. None of us have all the right answers. None of us have it all together. Sometimes what happens is when we get in a small group or a Sunday school class or sit under the word of God being preached or listen in a Bible study and participate, what happens is there's conviction through the Holy Spirit that comes into our hearts and says, I ought not be doing that. I need to change this. I shouldn't treat them that way. I shouldn't speak that way. I shouldn't think that way. I shouldn't go those places. And man, that kind of hurts because it tells us you're wrong it's like discipline from the lord but when we remember that the lord disciplines and chastises those whom he loves we remember man this is for my own growth and sanctification and good and so we study the word of god together secondly we honor god together through worship there's this unifying factor that happens as believers worship god together whether that's through music through song through spiritual songs through hymns through the preaching of the word or maybe even through serving together you know there's a great fellowship that happens uh when even stuff like this look over the last couple of weeks we've we've kind of put this stuff together that's out here and um and just canopies and just trailers and just music and all these cords and wires and there's people behind the stage that are running our live stream and uh, Mickey's in that trailer over there running all of our sound and and when you get down together and you just do simple even basic physical work like that something happens that you're growing with one another you you're at least doing life with them you may not always like uh, the way their breath smells Mickey or uh, I'm just joking man you may not like some of the little things in life but we at least get to be together. And when there is togetherness, there is always an opportunity for growth and love to take place. Psalm 34.3 emphasizes corporate worship. The song leader there, the worship leader, the psalmist says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. In, in other words, let's draw one another together and enjoy this together. Let's do it. Uh, you may not be a good singer. You may not have a good voice. You may not even be able to keep a tune. But you don't have to sing out loud to worship the Lord. It can even be from your heart. But when we do this together, guess who gets the most glory? It's him. And when more saints come together, he gets even more glory. And that's part of the beauty of a church family. 
Number three, we find accountability. You know, I alluded earlier to the fact that some don't like to join a church, and one of the reasons that I truly believe why some folks don't like to join a church is because when you get into a body, there is accountability for us. We are held responsible for some of our behaviors and actions, and it's much easier to just go walk in late, sit somewhere in a, in a pew, um, not shake anybody's hand, not say hi to everybody or anybody, put a hood over your head, and kind of pay attention and then leave immediately so that you don't have interaction with anybody. Some moments in life we need to do that. I'm not condemning anybody that does that, but I'm saying greater growth happens when you plug into the body. I was telling Monica Jimenez the other day that when God brought her and Mike and Sabrina into my life, what's happened is in the middle of all of this, we have grown to be almost like family. I love her. I'm encouraged by her. I'm friends with them. And that's what happens in a church. It's what should happen is as we're held accountable, we draw closer to each other, we make ourselves more vulnerable, and we build these relationships. Once relationships grow and friendships form, there is somebody somewhere to encourage you, maybe to rebuke you when necessary, but always to rejoice with you. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Guys, some of us are walking through life with a little bit of a dull blade. Not saying that anybody uh, doesn't have a full capacity of what they're working with, but I'm saying when we pull out the word of God, it's not very sharp to do its job, its intended course of action. What we need in the family of God as church members is to be sharpening one another, to making this blade sharp so that no matter what we do, we'll always be able to give a testimony of the hope that is within us. Uh, It's inevitable that when we walk through life, whether it's in your home or at your work or wherever it is that you are, that you're going to have friction with somebody because we're constantly rubbing up against one another's lives. But for those of us who love each other and offer grace, this accountability is a beautiful thing because it challenges us. We have somebody to confide in. It makes us vulnerable enough to expose ourselves so that somebody can come in and help us. Your family usually knows the best and worst things about you, but they love you anyway. And that's what we desire from a church family. Not that somebody's going to take the things about you and go gossip about them. That does happen in churches. We realize that there are hypocrites in church just like there are hypocrites everywhere else. But a true Christ-like church family member, somebody who loves you, isn't going to expose your worst self or go and slay you as soon as they're not in front of your face. They're going to exalt you. They'll take you to their prayer closet and pray for you. They'll intercede for you and lift you up. And that's what a church family does. When I find out that you're in sin, I don't go blab it to people. When I find out that there's a failure in your life or you find out that there's one in mine because they exist, what we should be doing is taking that immediately to the Lord. It's a matter between us and him and us and them and nobody else but that's the beauty of having a church family we can hold one another accountable and love each other through that number four uh, as a church family we find support in trials when trials come not if i used to ride motorcycle and um before i met my wife i used to go up to box blues from alma and from fort smith and and ride my motorcycle quite often. And uh, after we got married, we, we rode up one time, and afterwards she told me that I had to sell it. It's not because I was a bad motorcycle uh, driver or rider, but uh, she didn't want me getting hurt. 
what I was always told, because I grew up, my dad had a motorcycle, my brother had a motorcycle, is it's not if you have an accident on a motorcycle. It's when you have an accident on a motorcycle. And a lot of times it's not even your fault. And I'll tell you the same thing that's true in life. It's not if you're going to have troubles in life. It's when you're going to have troubles in life. It's not if it's going to rain. It's when it's going to rain. And so the same thing happens to us. When you have those difficulties in life, having a support system is so necessary to the the glory and grace and redemption of your soul. When you're in need, you want brothers and sisters in Christ to hold you up in prayer and to help with practical needs like meals and clothing and child care. Galatians 6.2 encourages us to bear one another's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, taking on somebody else's stuff sometimes, not always, you're not called to carry them through life, but in moments where their burdens are great, you can lift it up off of them. When Jesus was going to the cross and he fell underneath the weight of it, Simon of Cyrene was there to help bear the burden as Jesus went to Calvary to die on the cross for our sins. You still have to do some of that cross bearing, but thank God when there's somebody along the way to help you bear it there with you. A further benefit of having a church family is that believers can receive teaching and become equipped and energized to do the good works that God is calling us to. Sometimes we need that little zip, we need that little snap, we need that little something to spur us on. Number five is that we gain opportunities for service. The more people you know, the more people you have to love and serve. Not necessarily more burdens to bear, but sometimes. But that's part of being a family. When my mom is sick, when she's going to the doctor, when something's wrong with her, I want to bear her burdens in prayer. I want to see about her. I want to check on her. When my dad, who was just up at the VA hospital in Fayetteville a couple of days ago, is having tests run, I want to know what's going on with him. It's not a burdensome for me to know what's happening to my family. It is encouraging to me that they share that with me so that I can take it to the Lord and check on them. That's how it should be in a family. Your calling in the church is to contribute, not just to receive. Uh, If we only receive, man, we make ourselves pretty selfish. But we're supposed to give as well. Galatians 5.15 says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for, for the flesh. He's saying, don't make all the blessings you get just about you. Listen, don't just store them up in your, your deposit account. Uh, don't just take them into your bank account and store them there and try to grow interest off of them. He said, you're supposed to be making withdrawals too. You're supposed to be making deposits into other people's account as well. He says, <clears throat> um, but through love, serve one another. When we're in close fellowship with other believers, we better know and understand when they need support in prayer. We understand, uh, as I do, like I won't mention any names here, but I know that somebody's going into surgery. I know that somebody's recovering from cancer surgery. I know that they've got another battle on the horizon ahead. I know that somebody's dealing with the loss of a loved one. I know that these things, because people invite me into their lives... I have a special and unique privilege and place in so many people's lives. But they also share those things with you, and it's an invitation for them to share themselves with you and for you to serve them in love in an even better way. Man, James 5.16 says this, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much or accomplishes much. Ephesians 6, 7 says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. Now listen, if you served your brothers and sisters in Christ like you would serve Jesus Christ himself, they will be so well taken care of. They would be so comforted and highly encouraged in their daily battles and spiritual walks with the Lord. Finally, the last point this morning, number six, is church families 
uh, in church family, when we do this family thing together, we make disciples. There comes a time when you need to learn to feed and not just be fed all the time. Listen, uh, if all you're relying for is a meal once a week, you're going to get hungry. You're going to get starved out of a lot of things that you could be blessed through throughout the week. I don't want you to stop assembling and coming to church or listening or being a part of this. But guys, if all you're relying on is somebody else to feed you, at some point in time, you're a baby still spiritually, and you need to learn to feed yourselves. Um, you know, I remember so well the, the transition that when Sperry and Declan, we were trying to not just feed them, but get them to use utensils, and still that's difficult sometimes. But, uh, you, you know, a kid naturally just makes a mess of things because they don't know how to do it yet. <clears throat> We have to teach them. We have to clean up a lot of messes along the way. But God's trying to do the same thing with us so that you will study your Bible, that you will pray, that you will lead others by yourself at times. Come get fed and then learn to feed yourself as well. Also, not that we just be uh, burden bearers, or that we would be burden bearers, I should say, rather than constantly burden givers. Think about it. When somebody sees you coming, do they immediately go, great, I wonder what they want now. I hope not. I hope sometimes when they see you coming or they see your name uh, on a caller ID or they, they know that you're, you're visiting them that day or whatever it is that they think, oh, man, I can't wait to talk to them. Because it's not always something that you want or it's not always bad news or it's not always uh, negativity. But it's also encouragement and positivity because this discipleship relationship is one of friendship and not just what can I dump on them later. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Listen, that's a present tense, but with an ongoing forcible focus. Continuously be letting the word of Jesus, the word of God, be dwelling in you richly. Let it continue to fill you up so that it's a fountain that overflows. Man, when you're always full of hope, it doesn't mean that you're always bubbly and, and, and super overly friendly, but it does mean that there's hope that's within you. That if somebody dipped the ladle into the well that is your soul, that they would bring out something that was a blessing, something positive and encouraging. And so, um, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and admonish one another in all wisdom. I want to tell you something here, guys. This passage of Scripture wasn't written to preachers. It wasn't written to pastors or elders or bishops. It was written to the body. And it says there that the whole body should have some wisdom in some ways. Maybe you don't know the Bible inside and out. Not the biggest deal in the world. Know the Word of God. Hide it in your heart. That's important. But maybe you have wisdom in other areas. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a farmer. Maybe you're a provider. Maybe you're a giver. Maybe you're a doer. Maybe you're something else out there. God put all of these parts into one body so that we would be strengthened together. Whatever way you're having wisdom in your life, he's saying, admonish somebody with it. Maybe you can cut venison. Maybe you can kill deer. Maybe you can... Hey, listen. Cody Hill, I don't know if you're here this morning, man. But Cody Hill gave me some deer meat this last week. I haven't got to go hunting in a couple of years. Little things like that. Puts food on my family's table. You can do that in so many thousands of different creative ways to be able to bless somebody somehow. Use the wisdom that God has given you, the experiences that he has taught you from, to bless somebody. That Colossians 3.16 goes on to say, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Ephesians 4.25 says, laying aside falsehood. Listen, lay aside your past. If you keep living in that mess and it was bad, you're going to continue to live 
forward out of a bad framework. You're going to build a, a foundation that's made of sand and not stone if you continue to live in the past. He's saying here in Ephesians 4.25, lay aside falsehood. Lay aside what's been done to you. Lay aside the victimhood. Lay aside the lies. Lay aside the sickness. Lay aside the things that are pulling you away from the Lord. And speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Man, we belong to each other. You and I, we are our brother and sister's keeper. As Jesus commanded in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, by the way, that's our mission statement this year, uh, is that just simply this, it's always our mission statement. It's the co-mission of Christ, the Great Commission. But Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus tells us that we're in the business, all of us together, of soul winning and soul growing. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. We are disciples of one another. We show our love to each other by speaking grace and truth into each other's lives. We want to equip believers so that they can become more righteous. We want to stir the pot in the right way so that others will be stirred up to love and good works. There is in all of this an, a togetherness aspect of a church family. <clears throat> we are very much imperfect people serving a perfect Savior. Some of us will stumble before this day is over, but goodness gracious, what a blessing it is to have somebody there to help you up. Listen to this last verse that I want to share with you. It's Ecclesiastes 4.10. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. What a beautiful thought that even if everybody that you know has, has left you and departed, maybe they've gone to be with the Lord in heaven, maybe they're not in physical proximity to you, that you have a church family that hopefully fits and fills the promise of this verse. Woe to the one who has no one. Woe to the one who doesn't make themselves available or vulnerable enough to connect with others and to love others this way. Woe to them. But woe, what a rejoicing there is when you are walking and you fall and you have another companion to help lift you up. The value in having a church family is not just in receiving. Think about all the stuff that you can receive from your church family, but it's also in serving and giving. Things like extending love, extending forgiveness, offering acceptance, offering to cook, to drive, to babysit, to teach children or to disciple young ones in the faith, to meet with someone, to pray or to study the Bible. You know, I know others are doing this, but I want to brag specifically on Kevin Parsley this morning because a lot of y'all don't know this. He's not a guy that's going to post this or, or publicly proclaim himself in any way. He teaches Awanas and his girls that are in his class, he wanted them to be able to continue learning their lessons so that they could get fully fed and he missed them. And so what does he do? He takes to Zoom, he takes to the computer, and he reaches out to them. He mails their books to them, and they're all doing this study every week together. And it's such a beautiful thing. Listen, we just have to get creative when there are barriers in the way. The gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. We just have to find ways to batter it down, to go around, or to climb over. And sometimes to get over it, you need somebody there to lift your feet up to give you a boost. That's the beauty of what a church family is. We're a community. We should literally be one another's greatest supporters and cheerleaders of our church. What a beautiful thought it is that we have earnest counsel that comes from family and friends. A church family 
faithfully lives out the principles of biblical love. And when we do that, guys, God is ultimately glorified. The day is drawing near. Listen, the day of Christ's return is coming. And it will come like a thief in the night, and we don't know when that is. It could happen today, a week, months, or years down the road. I don't know, but I believe that it's coming soon. I know that as that day approaches, all the more we're to be encouraging one another. And what better way to do that than to love your family of faith, to invite people to be a part of this, to let them see, man, we are a hospital for the broken, but we're also people that truly, genuinely love each other. We're far from perfect, but we serve a perfect Savior. And he forgives and offers grace and mercy in every moment of our need. And so your witness is on full display for the world to see. They're going to see about God and learn about God and think about what God is like by watching us in here. And so, guys, let's show them an awesome God, a powerful God, a loving God, a forgiving God, a hope-filled God, a God that is always there for us, that never leaves us or forsakes us, that his love isn't based on conditions about how good or bad we are or whether we messed up or whether we did really good, that this God loves us. The world needs to see that. And that's the beauty in having a church family. Guys, if you're thankful to God to have a church family, would you guys honk your horns this morning? Man, I am thankful for you. We are blessed people. I want to pray with us. Um, I believe that we have one more song, right, Brother Justin? Okay. Um, and then um, we don't really have opportunity to do an altar call, but if there is something that's happened in your heart this morning and you feel convicted, take it before the Lord. If you need help, call me, call the church office, send us an email, however it is you want to reach out. We want to pray for you. So let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful blessing it is to have a church family. God, I know that uh, there are a lot of Christians today that need the support and the solace that we have as believers. There are a lot of people, Lord God, that don't necessarily get the great joy of having brothers and sisters and people around us that when we fall, that someone's there to pick them up. Lord, we pray for encouragement in folks' lives. We pray for a blessing to happen, Lord God, and everybody that hears this message. We pray that you would strike our hearts where we're not doing good to love on others or to reach out to them or to offer a hand up or to stir others up to love and good works, that maybe today would be that turning point in our lives that we give it up, Lord, that we give it over to you and that we trust you even more. Father, bless this church as we prayed, as Brother Ben prayed, uh, as Brother Brian prayed before service, Lord, that you would put a hedge of protection over this church Lord, not only from the weather, but also from this sickness, this pandemic. Keep our people safe. Lord, let us check on each other, to care about each other, to know each other's needs, and to be there for one another, Lord. And in that way, you will grow this body to such strength and health that we can't help but grow and give you greater glory. We love you, Father, and ask all of this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen.